Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blemson and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. The influential German media group Axel Springer is seeking to go private with the help of US investor KKR. The group hopes that freeing itself from short-term market scrutiny will clear the path for ambitious expansion plans. Katie Martin discusses the move with Arash Masudi and Tobias Burke. So Tobias, tell us a bit about the history of Axel Springer. Where does the company fit into the German media scene? Well, the company was founded right after the war by Axel Springer, the hugely powerful archetype of a German media tycoon. The power of the company really has long rested on the ownership of Bild, the German tabloid paper, which is the biggest selling newspaper in Europe and hugely influential still in Berlin political circles. Um, What has made Springer quite special was that it always had a very strong political stance. It's a very conservative paper. It has editorial principles that all the journalists have to sign up to. Those included before unification that the papers had to work towards helping Germany reunify, a very strong supporter of the transatlantic alliance with the U.S., a very strong supporter of Israel. So it's a sort of very powerful commercially successful, but also sort of very value-driven publisher. And so over the years, obviously, it has changed its makeup quite drastically. Many of the regional papers were sold off, and it's tried to reinvent itself, and it's done so quite successfully as a more digitally focused company. So obviously, Build is the biggest title, but what would be the other main publications that the rest of us over here in London might know about? The other well-known old media property that they have is Die Welt, which is a sort of conservative broadsheet daily, but a very sort of respectable paper, whereas Build can be sort of quite wild, until very recently running topless photos on the front page every day. Of course, Springer famously also tried to buy the Financial Times in 2015, but narrowly failed and was beaten out by Nikkei. But the company has really tried to reinvent itself as a digital company over the last decade in particular, And that has meant heavy investment in two areas. One is in the online ads business, both for property and for jobs, where Springer owns some of the biggest sites in Europe, in the UK, in France, and in Germany in particular. And that segment of the business now makes up by far the bulk of their earnings. So Springer decided very early on to exit some of their old media businesses and shift money into new media. And so on the one hand, that is this online ads business. And on the other hand, that's investments in properties such as Business Insider, the U.S. news site, which they bought in 2015, and setting up a joint venture to launch Politico Europe in Brussels. What's changed? Why do the main shareholders want to take the company private? And what are the terms of the deal? Well, there's been a sort of falling out of love between management and shareholders, in particular over the past year. Management, especially CEO Matthias Döpfner, feels that Springer needs to invest, 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 in particular to show up the company's strong position in the online ads business. And what has happened is that over the past year, in particular, It has had to downgrade its guidance largely because of the need for more investment. And so Döpfner and the management board and clearly also Friede Springer, the founder's widow who owns more than 40% of the company still, they feel that the company is at a stage where it needs to invest, where it needs to trade sort of short-term earnings for long-term prospects. And shareholders just don't seem to be willing to go along with that. 
And that really is the sort of root of the idea to take Springer private. And to do that, Frieda Springer, the widow, and Mr. Döpfner, who himself owns 2.8% of the company, have teamed up with KKR, and they are offering shareholders 63 euros a share, which is a 40% premium to the undisturbed share price, but is still quite substantially below where the share was only last year. So is this a good deal for the minority shareholders who are going to be bought out? Well, there was an interesting statement that came out of Axel Springer on the day that the offer was sort of finally made public and confirmed. On the very same day, they issued a pretty hefty profit warning. And so basically the message to shareholders was, whatever you think of this price that we're offering you, if you don't take it, you're in for quite a bumpy ride because the company will prioritize investment over short-term profit and over reliably raising the dividend and these kind of things that shareholders like. So probably the message to shareholders, at least, has been it's not going to get any better for you if this deal doesn't go through. So, Arash, why would um, you know a big, shiny US private equity group like KKR be interested in paying a premium to help the company take itself private? Well, there's a couple of dynamics at play. I mean, first of all, KKR has a very big European presence, so they're already on the continent. Throw in the fact that Axel Springer and Build in particular come with a lot of social capital in the sense that you're playing with one of the most powerful and influential media companies in Europe. And getting your hands on one of these prized commodities is often very attractive for people. If you think about the company's structure with Frieda Springer owning over 40% of the company's control and Matthias Dopner right there with 2.5%, the idea of ever really having a say in a company like this is a rare commodity. So if you're KKR, there's a couple of attractive reasons there. Now, actual Springer has been thinking about this for some time. Matthias Dopna, who's the engineer of this whole transaction, has been interviewing private equity firms over the last few months, I discovered in my reporting, and selected KKR for a number of reasons. And so they are now teamed up. And while, importantly, the structure basically sees that KKR has to satisfy getting 20% of the minority shareholders. So if you think that Frieda Springer controls about 42% and Matthias Dopner close to 3%, they need to get to about 65% to delist the company. And so that's why the offer comes with the terms that says the KKR needs to buy about 20%, a minimum of 20% of the shares out. Once they're private, KKR will still be a minority partner, but they will have influence and so on and so forth. And in the European private equity environment, there are very few deals where you can put a check of a billion euros mm. at work in one go. So this is quite attractive for a number of reasons. And obviously the main reason why a company like KKR goes into bed with anyone is to make a ton of money for its <laughs> shareholders. So that's principally the goal here. So speaking of making a ton of money, what are the plans for the company beyond the deal? Well, you got to imagine there's a couple things going on. There's probably some structural changes to the company and its alignment and to jobs, which will probably be better executed private and out of the headlines. Once it's private, we don't get to see what's happening. It's a lot harder. It becomes a lot less transparent. So some of the difficult decisions that public markets create for management will no longer be there. So if that means they need to restructure or fire people, that will happen outside the glare of the public eye. Maybe some of the dirtier work inside the portfolio of assets that isn't as nicely managed can be shut off in ways that, again, don't get the same attraction. And equally, if you want to make big bets on certain other businesses, you then have firepower and the ability to go for it without public markets judging the transaction. So you have to imagine that there is a plan for KKR to basically bring firepower to the table for them to pursue transactions to then ultimately see them in maybe five years' time return to market at a big profit for everybody. 
So companies have traditionally preferred to raise cash from shareholders on the public markets. To what extent is this going into reverse? This is a bit of a unique situation. And in fact, KKR has experience doing this in Germany, where there's typically a large foundation or large shareholder as a cornerstone investment. KKR helped take a market research company called GFK Private in Germany. Similar structure, almost the same playbook. 20% added on to the deal to delist and do it that way. It's a different form of an LBO, a leverage buyout, because you're not buying out the whole thing as a majority partner, you're buying it as a minority partner. But all the advantages of an LBO exist as long as you can work through the management structure, which you won't have as much influence over. So I don't think this is a major trend in terms of public versus private markets. I think it's unique to Mm. companies where there's a cornerstone investor with 42% sitting there and the options are limited. So this is kind of a unique structure, almost German specific in a lot of ways. And KKR has done it before. It's very specific to KKR. So what are the big challenges for the company now? Is it getting the deal over the line or is it taking what could be quite painful decisions once that's all done? They probably have a plan for what they're going to do once it's all done. The hard part is getting across the line. So if you're KKR, you need to make sure that 20% of the investors sign up to this. They could play hardball with you. There's a history of people like Elliott and some really clever investors going in and forcing railroading companies to pay more money in deals. There's an added complication, which is that there are heirs of the Springer family who also have roughly 10% of the company, Axel Van Springer, Sven Springer, and Ariane Melanie Springer, who have about 10% combined. Now, My reporting suggests that it's not all hunky-dory on the family side and it's not like everyone's on the same page. I'm not saying it's like uh, the HBO show Succession, but, you know, families are complicated and the politics within that is always tricky, as we've seen in another media family like the Murdochs. So the question is, will these two put their 10% in because that already gets KKR halfway there? Or do they take the view that this is going to be so profitable once they take it private and fix it up? that they should stick around. And that automatically adds some complication because then it shortens the list. The view is they're going to ride the journey still and want to get rich off what happens. So they'll have to convince the other shareholders that this is a good deal. And that's the primary challenge right now. Yeah. Families plus money always equals drama, right? And great headlines. And great headlines, which is great for us. But Tobias, how is this all going down in Germany? How is it being viewed? There's surprisingly little political reaction to this. I mean, as Arash mentioned, Springer is hugely politically influential, although perhaps less so with the Merkel government than with all the previous ones. I think it's been very much presented here as a move to shore up the sort of long-term future of the group. It's been presented and also largely seen, I think, as a move in favor of sort of a long-term view rather than short-term pressure from the capital markets and As we know, that kind of discourse tends to go down quite well with the German public. So there's certainly been very little criticism of this deal. And I think there's also a sort of expectation or a hope that Axel Springer can use this window, can use this freedom of being a private company to bulk up and protect itself against, for example, new competition from the likes of Google, which is pushing very hard into the market for online small ads. So I think this is a deal that has really met very little criticism from any corner here. That was Katie Martin, Capital Markets Editor, talking to Arash Masudi, Corporate Finance and Deals Editor, and Tobias Burke, Berlin Correspondent. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on China's role as a global power, the Iran-US standoff in the Gulf, or China's threat to use rare earths as a trade weapon, you can find them on all the usual podcast platforms.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.